Hi there, welcome to the meeting. I'm your host, Luba, and in this season, I'm talking to professionals across industries and functions on the impact of coronavirus on their day-to-day lives. In this episode, my guest is Marina Magilko, a serial entrepreneur who has started three different companies. Marina is also a famous blogger, having over 3 million followers across her three YouTube channels and her Instagram channel. In this conversation, we talk about income diversification, who Marina looks up to in her serial entrepreneurship journey, how Silicon Valley has shaped her thinking about building a company, and how to manage and hire a remote team. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Good yep. morning. Morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Happy Friday. Can't believe oh, it's yeah. Friday. It doesn't so really excited. feel like <laughs> Friday at all. But uh, thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, I would love to dive right into the hot topic of coronavirus, hot topic of pandemic and how businesses operate. Marina, I know you've been running remote teams and remote, multiple remote companies for some time already. And you've always been, um, I think always or almost always have been hiring international. And that's a topic that's really hot for everyone right now. People are wondering how to hire remotely, how to run a remote teams. So I'm first wondering, why did you decide to build a remote team? Uh, so that story goes back to 2013. So we originally started with an office in St. Petersburg, and then we realized we wanted to scale our business. It was a study abroad booking agency. And we had to open an office in Moscow and then another Russian city. And I hated traveling to those offices. I hated traveling to Moscow in winter because um, I don't like winter and I don't, don't like to go outside when it's snowing. So uh, I really hated this whole process of starting offices. And then we came up with the idea of an online business. And I thought if clients are booking online, why can't we just build the whole team online? And you know, every time I come to the office, because we used to have an office in St. Petersburg, uh, we shut it down. Well, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. We shut it down a couple months ago uh, because you know everyone is working remotely, and we didn't see the point of paying for uh, the physical space. But every time I came to the office. I just had this urge to talk to people, uh, to ask them how they're doing, what's going on, like to be right. sociable. And that means instead of working for eight hours a day, I ended up working four hours because I spent two hours uh, traveling to the office, one hour communicating with colleagues and one hour going out for lunch. And I was like, wow, why, why be less productive when I can be more productive staying at home? And, you know, working from home mode is the best for me. Uh, I know there are different types of people, but for me, staying at home is the best. What do you like about working from home and staying at home? Well, first of all, saving time and energy, uh, not commuting, because, you know, even being around people, like, why are we so tired when we're traveling? We're basically just going to the airport, we're sitting on the airplane, doing nothing, but we are so tired because there are so many people around us. We don't notice that, but our body just it produces a lot of energy to, you know, be aware of the situation that's going on. That's why we can't really work when we're driving, well, when we're sitting in a car that's driving uh, because our body is spending energy on balancing itself because it knows something's going on we don't necessarily think about it but the energy is wasted and uh, because I realized there are so many things I want to do with my energy I have a family I have a YouTube channel I have companies I don't want to spend it on things that can be avoided such as traveling to the office going out for lunch and stuff yeah, that makes total sense. You know, I've been going to the office for the past four years. And then now for the past two months, I haven't been going to the office. And I've been absolutely loving it. Now I'm like, okay, I don't really want to go to the office. Can, do you know if you can stay or? Yeah, I think until the end of the year, the offices are going to be closed. A lot of tech companies came out with that statement. And, you know, when the phases were opening is going to happen, they're probably going to say, hey, if you're not comfortable coming to the office, stay at home. But if you are comfortable coming with to the office and if you want to come to the office, then come to the office. So uh, but yeah, honestly, like remote work, I think this is a great experiment for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really, really we're good and i'm hoping that companies will have more um more flexible remote policies so in the light of coronavirus you also know i mean you're also obviously here in the bay area a ton of companies have laid their staff off were you able to save all your employees how was your business personally affected well we have employees and contractors in terms of employees yes uh all of those all of us stayed but in terms of contractors of course we had to um part with some people just because it's unsustainable. So basically we have two parts, at Lingua Trip we have two parts, the travel part mm -hmm. and the online part. 
and travel part is basically well it's not dead right now we still have bookings which is pretty exciting especially like long-term yeah. bookings when people are booking their higher education and prep courses but in terms of like short-term travel of course people are just waiting um and mm -hmm. to see how the situation evolves um so yeah we had to i think we went from 80 people in total to 53 so 27 yeah, that's a lot yeah uh, but i also feel that this time is really good for us as a company because we're becoming more efficient yeah. we are diving deep into processes when noticing inefficiencies we are removing them so i'm actually glad well i'm not glad but there are positive things about this whole thing so basically, actually, one of my questions was, what, what have you discovered in light of the pandemic in terms of your business running and business operations? Sounds like you discovered some process inefficiencies. Had time yeah. To dive into it. yeah, we discovered that, you know, we thought, you know, some, some people were working more than we actually thought. And we, we always thought there are some things we're unaware of that are really, really complicated. But when you actually dive into those things, you realize they're nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that kind of stuff and we also wanted to simplify everything because we realized that there is like the complaint process like if a client complains there are three people that are on top of it and we realized we don't want to waste people's time on just dealing with one complaint so we're right. just leaving it to, to one person you know small things there are a lot of small things when you have an operational huge operational business yeah. like her because one client is a lot of people uh you have customer care you have visa support and stuff so yeah Good, good. It's always good to discover inefficiencies and remove unnecessary people. I think oh, yeah. in a lot of companies here in the Valley, that's also happening. Like if you're focusing on too many things, that means that you're kind of doing everything subpar. and it's Everything and nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything and that. Like master, wait, what is it? Uh, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I think there was this funny story about Yahoo going remote and they, they went remote like three years ago and then they had a new CEO who said, okay, I want to see everyone in the office. And so everyone came to the office and he realized like 30% of employees were getting paid, but they were doing nothing. And he was like, oh, wow, because their functions, they were unnecessary yeah. and they won't performed at all. Um, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. So what, what are your thoughts on the future of hiring? Have you personally had employees in your company that you've never, ever met in person? However, they have. Oh, yeah. Look, contractors. Yes. Employees. No contractors. Yes. A lot. Because employees, they're all in the US. Uh, if somebody is outside the US, they're, um, they're contractors. But yeah, there are a lot of contractors I haven't actually met. Um, and um, I, it was uh, this time was actually great because I met more people because we were diving deep into stuff. Uh, yeah, but I don't think that's a necessity these days. Because if you, uh, you know, if, if they submitted their resume, if you like them, if you like the quality of their work, uh, why not? <laughs> That makes sense. Would you hire an employee that you've never met before? Because you, you did mention this distinction that if they're empl yeah. an employee, then I've met them in person. And if they're a contractor, uh, I think so. Yeah. What, uh, what, so, so you think so? However, that hasn't been the case yet. That hasn't been the case because uh, all of our employees are in California. Uh, wow. And I just see them all the time. <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't know that. That I, I recently, I think, saw in your stories that you guys have an office in South San Francisco. Right? We do. Yeah. I yeah. don't go there at all. I go there like <laughs> once a month. But yes, we have a really nice office. It's a beautiful space in South San Francisco. South San Francisco is this nice area where you can get away from San Francisco 1% revenue tax. And oh, <laughs> you really? can... Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. I think, Good to know. Yeah. And I was thinking why... Uh, Airbnb still has offices in San Francisco because Stripe is moving for the exact same yeah. reason. They're moving from San Francisco to South San Francisco because San Francisco imposes a 1% tax on everything mm -hmm. you make. So but maybe they do like allocation, like state allocation. Mm -hmm. I don't know about Airbnb, but we decided that, you know, South San Francisco is the best place for us because it's close. Uh, rent is cheaper. They have amazing spaces. And uh, this whole new town is really new. And it's it used to be biotech. Now it's mm -hmm. biotech and uh, everything. And Stripe is moving there. So yeah, it's a really, really nice wow, place. Wow, that's awesome. And do you have a specific function in the South San Francisco office? Or is it like employees of different functions? 
Oh, it's, it's everything. Yeah, it's everything. Got it. Got it. And um, in terms of international hiring and in, ter in terms of hiring remotely, again, this is a topic that a lot of people are trying to figure out now. How do you even manage a team remotely? What kind of processes do you right away set up to make sure that employee or contractor or rather, I guess, contractor, since your employees are here in California, that they're set up for success and that you have a good um, operational process to interact with them and make sure that they do their work efficiently and it's quality? Yeah, I think the most important thing is actually having instructions for everything. So you see a person as a set of functions. So for example, you have a set of functions in your company, uh, social media, YouTube, whatever. And uh, for every function, you have a line out of things that need to be done and KPIs for every function. And then when you realize several functions can be performed by one person, you hire a person who is responsible for those functions. And it's really important that they have the whole framework and they have a person they're reporting to and they have a person who they can ask for advice. That's like number one, because sometimes people are like, oh, I don't have a marketing department. Maybe I should just hire a marketing guy who's going to be responsible for Google ads, this, 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 and that. Mm -hmm. And then a person comes and, uh, you know, they, everybody has different standards. Everybody has different ways uh, yeah. they follow when they work. And uh, then you have conflicts. Um, as a founder, as a manager, you need to set up a framework that's convenient for you. And then, uh, you know, hire people who are okay working within your environment. I think that's the key. Because if you hire someone and ask them to set everything up themselves without guiding them, then they create something you might not like, and this would be a total disaster. So that's number one. Number two, uh, for people whose performance you can't track in terms of KPIs, uh, like if we're talking about custom, well, customer support is kind of, you can't do a numeric KPI, but for some roles, you can do a numeric KPI that would reflect their work uh, or that would reflect their work in full. Um, we track time. There's a, an app called Time Doctor. And I think it's really, really, it's a really good app because for example, I have my own personal assistant and she's helping me with a lot of stuff. But recently there hasn't been a lot happening. I'm sitting at home and working yeah so she ended up working like an hour a day and i'm paying her for like six hours and uh you know and she doesn't like that she's doing nothing i don't like that she's doing nothing and she started helping us, uh, us with lingua trip and that's amazing uh because she's doing something and uh you know i'm tracking i know what she's doing so time doctor is a perfect tool that's awesome. That's great to know. I actually just hired a personal assistant myself about two, three weeks ago. So this whole topic. Oh, congrats. You know? congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's actually been so, so helpful already. And she's in Russia as well. And she's been, yeah, so on top of everything. But Time Doctor, that's a really good idea to track the time. So when you, you know, when you hire someone new, can you walk me through the process of what exactly that you do to train them and make sure that they are aware of what to do? And do you like, like, leaving them any kind of creativity and coming up with, you know, their own processes with, of course, checking in with you? Or do you like that they're just like doing everything to the dots? First, I just want them to follow the instructions because that's the most important thing I want to figure out if they're able to follow the instructions. Ideally, I'd love a person who's creative, but uh, not everyone can be creative and I'm okay with that. I realize mm -hmm. that a lot of people just like uh, clear instructions. Um, so yeah, in my case, basically it's uh, when I hire a person, there is like this vigorous process of finding the right person. I would normally have like a hundred applicants per position and I would shortlist maybe three or four. We'll have an interview and then I would hire one or two. Sometimes I, mm -hmm. I'm only looking for one person, but I end up hiring two because people are amazing. Um, so, and then I would just ask them to follow really clear instructions and I would check on everything for the first couple of weeks. Uh, make sure they understand mm -hmm. what's going on and then I would just let them do their own thing. Yeah. I always tell them like if you want to be creative just make sure you know for some positions we have like a mistake that they can make the, the numerical amount of a mistake that they can make so mm -hmm. if a mistake is worth $200 you can make it if you think it might be more than $200 please consult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how much time do you personally spend ahead of time, like writing all these instructions? I know that it's a broad question. I did it, well, I did it once. For, I'm responsible for my personal assistant, for my video editor, for my video um, mm -hmm. publisher. <laughs> so the girl helps me publish all the videos. So for those mm -hmm. positions, I've created instructions back in 2019, and we just keep updating them. Um, mm -hmm. For LinguaTrib, there are people who are doing that, so I'm not doing instructions for LinguaTrib. 
Well, I love the process and organization. I've I've been like trying to I've started like creating boards and instruction, but I'm still trying to figure out like how much detail I should put into them, uh, what kind of check-in process I should have. The more the details, way. the better. The Because I've been a couple years ago, I had none none of uh, instructions written down, and uh, that was a mess. So don't. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that creates a lot of inefficiency and then you probably spend more time just correcting their work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Time yeah. and money. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So how many businesses are you running right now? Well, LinguaTrip. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know even if LinguaTrip is three businesses in one because it's mm -hmm. Fluent Express. Uh, mm -hmm. It's uh, online courses and uh, study abroad. Uh, and then it's Lingua Marina Inc, which is mm -hmm. three of my channels, uh, Instagram and uh, all of the partnerships that we're doing. I also have uh, my YouTube courses. I have mm -hmm. my digital products. So a lot of a lot of things. I don't even know how many businesses that is. I prefer to think that I have three businesses because Lingua Tripling Express and Lingua Marina Inc. That makes sense. And um, how does one know that they well, actually, before I ask that, are you like fully operational in each one of these business or are you like more hands-on in one of them? And then you're, you know, kind of checking in um, how the high level processes are going in the other businesses. Well, uh, Fluent Express doesn't involve too much of, of operations. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, there is a person, the guy who manages the quality of uh, native speakers that work with Fluent Express. So, um, with that business, I don't do much. I do a lot in LinguaTrip in terms of like marketing and product. Uh, and I do a lot in my company. So I would say it's 60, well, 60% Lingua Marina Inc. because I still have to produce content and that takes yeah. a lot of time, 40% LinguaTrip and Fluent Express and like back and forth. How do you manage it all? Like how much time do you on average spend working? I know you, you just had a kid too. Like how are you, yeah, how are you just managing, you know, family? Uh, work, starting new businesses. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to limit my work to four hours a day. That's the maximum. Because otherwise, I would just be, you know, working, working, working. Um, I spend maybe a couple hours in the morning uh, working with LinguaTrip, and then a couple hours during the day working on my content. That makes sense. And has that always been the case? Four, four hours a week sounds, uh, sounds like you, you have pretty good work-life balance. And did you get there like right away that was your goal that hey i only want to work four hours a day or did that happen once emily came so now you have more responsibilities yeah that was my goal uh when i got pregnant because i realized that once the baby's here i won't be able to work 10 hours yeah. a day as i used to so this is when we started creating all of the instructions this is when i started hiring people that i would trust long term and uh you know setting up everything so i could just retire kind of mm -hmm. uh, yeah that's very curious. So that means that, you know, you focused on this efficiency on operation. Would you say that uh, before having Emily, you didn't actually have to work nine hours a day? You potentially were just like not very efficient at working? Um, I think I... Or not really? I just took up many, many projects before Emily. I would say yes to almost everything. Mm -hmm. uh, now I realize that you know, I need to say no to stuff because uh, I'm more, I'm better off spending my energy on either my kid or my company. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's just, it's about limiting uh, the, the amount of projects that I have. That makes sense. And when, like, let's say I want to start multiple businesses. Obviously, I'm probably not going to start multiple businesses right this moment. But let's say I started one. And hey, I now want to move on to another project. And I'm trying to like hire operational people for the first business. When is the right time to, you know, kind of start handing things off, start starting to hire people and starting transferring your focus onto the next thing? Once you have all the instructions and KPIs, and once you understand exactly what that person is going to be doing, and exactly what you're delegating. And it's really important to understand that you can never delegate strategy. Because we also made this mistake. We thought we're gonna hire people who would help us grow our business. But those people are actually very pricey and you can't just find them through, you know, mm -hmm. whatever you use for <laughs> monster or uh, yeah. you need to have a headhunter who would find you that person and that person would be really, really expensive. So we're talking about um, delegating operations, you would delegate day-to-day -day processes, but you can't expect a person to come from, you know, another company and just tell you, oh, in order to grow your business, you need to do this, this, and that. Mm -hmm. The strategy should be purely 
um, on you. It's your mm -hmm. responsibility. But then, you know, there is this, uh, this guy, I was talking to one big Russian magazine yesterday, mm -hmm. and they were asking me, uh, who am, am I looking up to in terms of business? And there is this guy, Tinkoff in Russia, uh -huh. who somehow managed to be everywhere. So he built this big um, store, like Best Buy in mm -hmm. Russia and sold it. Then he built this food company and sold it. Then he built a beer factory and sold it. And now he built one of the best Russians, Russian banks. And it doesn't mean that he's an expert everywhere. It doesn't mean that he has to set everything up himself. He's just so good at finding the right people who are going to help him grow that business. And it doesn't mean that this business is something he necessarily understands in every single detail. He just understands how he can make the processes more efficient and better for the client. And then he goes out and finds this guy who's going to yeah. set everything up for him. And that's amazing. This is something I want to learn. And uh, I don't know how to do that yet. Yeah, there is actually, there is a Silicon Valley example of some, something similar to that. If you know um, ABC, do you know the venture funds called ABC? Yeah, ABC, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Joel Lonsdale is the, I think he's the main managing partner of that fund. And he was a co-founder of Palantir. And he's actually kind of like, he serially starts uh, operational companies with kind mm -hmm. of a, a templated model of how to run them. They're always like not super sexy companies, not like consumer app and stuff. It's like uh, how to recycle, how to um, uh, like do title insurance. Like it's businesses that are uh, that are, are not buzzing like Silicon Valley hype. And yeah, he just like starts these businesses with someone who is ready to run it operationally. And then he like, I guess, participates in strategy and everything at the beginning. And then he moves on to start the next company. And then there is like a whole team, in the previous company and a CEO who is ready to like continue running uh, that company and he can just move on to the next thing. I think it's, it's very, that's very amazing. Easy. Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty... Yeah. And Alex, Alex Mir from L.A., mm -hmm. uh, he, kinda, he, he runs kind of smaller businesses, I would say. But still, he has this uh, when I visited his mansion in Beverly Hills. Uh, he has like this living room with I think 10 people. And they're, they're responsible for like marketing, creating landing pages. And he says that every week he would drop in and say, Hey, I have this idea, let's create this website and launch these ads. And if the idea is taking off, then they create a whole business. If it doesn't take off, then you know, they, they just move on. That's amazing. I can't yeah. do that yet. I, think <laughs> I need to be like, I really need to be in the product. I really need to make sure I like everything. And Dima keeps telling me you can't uh, create a billion dollar company if you want to be in every single process because you need to focus on the strategy. You can't, like if you're building an English language platform, you can't create every single test yourself. You need to delegate. And I just, I just want to be in that, pro I don't know. Like this is something I'm learning right now. <laughs> So how do you, uh, that, that's a super interesting topic, and I think it's a great goal to, to be like one of those people. I admire people who run multiple businesses as well. I think I would rather be one of them than like a person who's like married to one company for 20 years of their life. And, and that's unsafe. If I only had lingua trip with study abroad, I don't know what we've been doing right now. Yeah, income diversification, we're definitely going to dive more into yeah. that. But on the topic of multiple businesses, how do you, like, how do you yourself are trying to get there? Do you find mentors that are running multiple businesses that can, like, help you out? Hey, this is what I did. Or are you, like, reading books? Or are you trying to just, like, I'm sure in parallel you're trying to do that yourself with, like, running multiple businesses yourself. But how are you going to make sure that you're going to be able to do that? Yeah, I'm just, I think for every business, I just have a role model uh, at every single time that I try to copy in terms of like things that they do. Um, I'd love to talk to people who have multiple businesses. Well, Alex Mayer was one of them. But yeah, I feel he just, he has this amazing team and he's doing a lot of things together. You know, Ty Lopez, they're doing a lot of things together. Mm -hmm. So they just split responsibilities and uh, he's also investing and they just bought a um, retail company. Oh, so um, it's all about having the right people. It's all about having the right partners. I guess that's the key. Um, the thing is, how do you find them? Find I was partners. really lucky to marry, to get married <laughs> to Dima, <laughs> to find our CTO. Uh, which was, uh, so we found our CTO while Dima was karting, he was go-karting um, in St. Petersburg and he just met a guy who happened to know our CTO. So that was a complete random event and you can't really copy that yeah. <laughs> to find new people. But yeah, I'd love to learn that.
And, um, you know, Silicon Valley, and you've been in Silicon Valley for a few years yourself already, it, a lot of the times it preaches a very different model where, you know, you uh, put your eggs in, all, in one basket of yeah. your startup, you raise a lot of money, and a lot of the times raising money is almost more of an accomplishment than actually running like a profitable business. We're very yeah. familiar with that. Um, yeah. How has your perspective on company building has changed being here? And, you know, if you're interested in building multiple businesses, it sounds like it's harder to find role models that do that here in the valley or do you think you just haven't looked hard enough um i think so first of all when we came here we realized that we don't want to be on that kind of investor needle that mm -hmm. yeah. you just survive That's a good only. expression investor needle <laughs> yeah you only survive if you raise another round we didn't yeah. want that and uh, we realized we just you know we're gonna go back to russia for a year and this is what we did went back to russia for a year just to make sure we're cash flow positive uh, so we could finance everything ourselves and not be dependent on people you know making decisions about our company mm -hmm. so that was the first thing and this is why we're really different in silicon valley and when we went to raise some money last year investors were like oh my god you're guys actually making money this is so rare we're like oh yeah <laughs> we are making money um and i think this is what makes a business healthy um because if, if we built like a supersonic jet, of course, we wouldn't be focusing on being profitable because we're not building something that's rocket science. We're building just, mm -hmm. you know, an app for people to travel. Mm -hmm. I don't think you really need to focus on raising money because people focus more on raising money than building a product itself. Exactly. And yeah, this is Silicon Valley reality. And for some products, this is strategy for a supersonic jet, for a self-driven self vehicle or whatever. But for some products that are B2C, I would say, you know, that, that don't require that much innovation. Uh, I think it's really important to focus on business health itself. Right. And um, in terms of finding examples, I think those people are rare everywhere. <laughs> Not only Silicon Valley. I don't think if I went to LA, I would find a lot of people who would, uh, you know, run uh, multiple successful businesses. I just find them online and I try to follow mm -hmm. them. <laughs> mm -hmm. That makes sense. And do you still take inspiration and advice from people here in the Valley that are running businesses on Investor Needle? Because, you know, Valley is full of events and talks by founders who are, you know, who are, of course, they're like big company founders that I'm sure anyone can take a lot of advice from. But there are also like a lot of startups that are not necessarily very successful yet or will never be successful. And uh, they're kind of like running after VCs and after raising another fund. Yeah, I would oh, say, wow. well, not right now, because we haven't been talking to people for yeah. a while, a couple last months. But yeah, before that, I love meeting with VCs who invested in huge companies and who were there when the companies uh, started growing really fast because mm -hmm. those people know exactly what those companies were doing in order to grow that fast. And we're talking to investors of Yelp, we're talking to investors of Skype, like a lot of great people and uh, yeah, a lot of great advice. Whom, whom would you recommend people to follow if you're interested in building multiple businesses? Like, who are your role models right now? So you mentioned Alex Mayer. Ma Alex Mayer, he's not really Facebook. active on social media. Um, mm. Well, you can follow Graham Stephan. <laughs> he yeah. has an amazing YouTube channel yeah. and he has a lot of uh, properties in LA that he buys and rents out. Uh, and yeah, he has two YouTube channels and I think he's making it like 150K every month from YouTube, yeah. which is yeah, kind of cool. Um, so maybe that guy, uh, who else? I don't really, I haven't been following a lot of people recently, just those two maybe, and I'm just reading a lot of books, I guess. Yeah, I, I will, I'll let you know. Right now. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, so right now I'm actually reading like psych psychological stuff uh, mm -hmm. regarding babies, but mm -hmm. uh, the last book I read about business, let me remember. Oh, I was reading Tony Robbins' Money because I'm, oh. I'm into investing. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, Money and then Unshakable is like a, a condensed yeah. version of money. Those books are actually really, really great for investment. I've read them too, and they were just like very straightforward, and the advice was really good. Another one uh, that's really good for investment is uh, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Have you heard about that book? No, I need to write it down. I will teach yeah. you to be rich. Uh, yeah. It's by this guy. His name is Ramit Sethi, and he's actually also a person who like runs multiple businesses 
businesses and has uh, mm. multiple income streams. He went to Stanford in like 2005 or something. And then he was like super into personal finance. And then he decided to write the book. So the first version of the book came then. And he always jokes that, hey, oh, he's friends with Tim Ferriss. So he's like, yeah, hey, Tim, like we both have clickbaity book names like for our work week and I will teach mm -hmm. you to be rich. But the book is actually full of really great actionable advice. I would Great. Say. I Thank you. It. Yeah, of course. Um, in terms of income diversification, so you briefly mentioned um, 10 minutes ago or so that, you know, if not for diversification, then if you just had lingua trip, then you would have been in a very hard spot. Why? Um, how does one start with income diversification in general? Great question. <laughs> Let's say I'm running a business. Like, what is the first thing I'm, I should be trying to diversify? Like, should I be inve just investing or like, should I be, you know, trying to like create an online course or something else? Yeah, I would just think, uh, you know, when I started building multiple income sources, I wasn't necessarily thinking of building multiple income sources. I was just mm -hmm. uh, thinking about, you know, trying new things. When I first did my live webinar, paid live webinar, I was like, I, I just want to try it. I just want to see how it's different from going live for free on my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think the first thought should be that. And then you just need to understand which of those things you enjoy the most and double down on it. And when you do something you love, it just starts making money. So I think for me, so first it was LinguaTrip. Then we realized, oh, then I started my YouTube channel. Then I got my first $1,000 uh, of income from YouTube and I was like wow I need to double down on that um, and then what was next I think next I did a live stream that was mm -hmm. made and made like 10k from it and I was like wow that's amazing wow. <laughs> uh, and then we realized that we can launch online courses at LinguaTrip and this is what's saving LinguaTrip right now because mm -hmm. the online courses are um, taking off like crazy and then I started my own YouTube course so you know it's just you're just trying new things constantly and then you decide whether you want to focus on this new thing or not, uh, depending on whether you like it, whether it's making you more money or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. In terms of online courses, because, you know, um, in the Valley or in like VC world in general, they always say that ad tech companies are really hard to run because people are not willing to pay for education. Most uh, stuff that people accept uh, expect to get online should be free uh, however i'm seeing a boom in online courses and online courses that do not really have like a very cheap uh you know pri price price tag sometimes it's like 500 dollars for an online course i know you sell courses between like 40 probably and 100 dollars, depending on the tier or 150 yeah the most expensive is 199 yeah 200 dollars then mm -hmm. um how what are your thoughts about you know on one hand, like people want free content and on the other hand, creating something premium and making people pay for it. Well, I think it all depends on personality because there is masterclass.com where right. they have amazing people and people are willing to pay for that. I think it all depends on the quality of content. And if you're willing to learn from one particular person, you're going to buy from, from that person. That's why I think, uh, you know, bloggers can make a lot of money on producing their own courses because they have this expertise and they have mm -hmm. people who trust them uh with their with their money and their time and they invest in their courses um in terms of educational platforms i think yeah it's it's again it's all about brand and uh, producing quality content and mm -hmm. if it's uh it's if it's high quality then people would be willing to pay for it and also when you're paying for your education um you're more responsible about it right because you mm -hmm. you've already spent money and uh you just don't want to you know take another well if it's a free online course you can just drop off without any consequences right. Right. so yeah that's a that's an interesting topic because I, I always think that education should, should be freemium first like for example mm -hmm. we take me as a company uh i have a lot of free content on youtube and i only upsell a couple of small groups of people who are interested in growing their youtube channel or mm -hmm. improving their english but the rest is completely free and when you say upsell, is it um, through, you know, newsletter channels? Or are you doing ads or like what is We're doing a lot of things. We're doing webinars. We're doing ads. We're doing email campaigns. We're doing Facebook ads. We're doing funnels. A lot of things. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, in terms of online courses and when is the right time to start an online course, like, do you have to have a huge audience to start an oh, online no. course? No, you just, uh, in my course about how to grow on YouTube, I have this, uh, one is it 1,000? 100 true fans theory. Mm -hmm. 
think. I think it's yeah. 100. It's better to have 100 people that love yeah. you. Than 100. Like yeah, 100. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you have 100 people who love you and they invest $100 in your product, then that makes $10,000 a year. And if it's a thousand people who love you and they invest a hundred dollars in your product, then it's a hundred thousand dollars a year. And that's three times more than the average American makes. So if you're a creator, you don't really need to have 1 million people following you. Yeah. You just need those 1000 true fans or at least 500, well, at least a hundred, mm. uh, or if it's 500, that's amazing. And then you can make a living of it. And uh, if you enjoy it, you know, it's, it's just gonna grow. So that's, that's an amazing theory. So basically once you have a hundred people who love you, it's, mm -hmm. it's time to produce something meaningful. It, it should be meaningful, not just like a chorus that you recorded in, in a day without yeah. thinking about the content. But if you produce something great, then you can totally make a living of your art. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for the insight and the advice. How do you actually make sure that, you know, you're working on the right things? How do you set metrics for yourself and you're, ma you're making sure that your time isn't like wasted and you've actually made progress? Because, you know, even with just, let, let's just take social media. There are so many things that you can be doing at once. You can like, be oh, on yeah. TikTok, you can be running, I don't know, you can be creating an online course, you can be creating webinars, you can like produce more videos. Like, how do you track everything? I know. I was just talking to Dima about this a couple of days ago. I don't even because I was I'm 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 in this stage of sleep deprivation because I think Emily starts to teeth and oh, she no. would wake up a lot of times in the night. Like a couple of days ago, only slept for like four hours, and I was like, "Oh my god, there are so many things going on in my life. How do I make sure I stay on top of everything? Like three YouTube channels, Instagram, companies, mm -hmm. and then having a big goal of building something really huge for you know." for English language learners. And we decided with Dima that every week we sit down, Friday, we sit down, we have this uh, board meeting with him. Mm -hmm. uh, when we decide that the next week, uh, we're gonna make two actions that lead us to the bigger goal. Because the, these are the actions that we tend to forget about. We mostly focus on day to days. Mm -hmm. And when we're you know over overloaded with day-to-day -day operations we forget about the bigger goal and that's the most important thing the bigger goal and um we would uh like create a list of things we need to do next week that would um get us to the bigger goal and we would start with them uh and so for example next week i need to find the person to start my chinese social media uh and there was something else uh so something because <laughs> my big goal is china and you know building a big product uh, we're working on something secret project right now. <laughs> so, and Dima has um, a list of goals. Um, and this is something that we focus on, but we also have processes in the back end, like uh, YouTube channels, content and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, having uh, clear steps that lead you to the big goal, um, that's really important. And then, you know, your day to days will find you anyway. <laughs> It's almost like when you hire someone, you create very clear instructions for them that lead to that bigger goal while you yeah. hire them. Tell me a bit more about China. You know, I think I'm just like briefly looking at China here and there. And China seems just so ahead of the game in a lot of different things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How are you focusing on China? Why China specifically for social media? And how will you be ensuring that you know you can crack china because the culture the i don't know i want to try because <laughs> a lot of companies try they lost well uber mm -hmm. lost i think like a couple hundred million yeah. on airbnb still there <laughs> yeah uh so what we're seeing right now is that a lot of my content is actually copied in china and it's oh. getting a lot of traction which is amazing. That means the Chinese people like my content. So uh, I just want to at least start a social media where I can accumulate all the followers and all the views and see what's going on with my content. There's this difficulty in China. So the majority of money is made during live streams. So people stream yeah. and they sell a course during their live stream. Yeah. So if you're not a Chinese citizen, you cannot go live. And that's the main obstacle right now. So I'm trying to find a person who would help me with uh, with my social media, like just repurpose my content, mm -hmm. and then we'll see how we're gonna how we're gonna deal with the with the next step. But we already have a course for um, mm -hmm. Chinese students. We recorded it together with my Chinese friend who's here in LA, uh, and I'm just talking to a couple more Chinese bloggers. I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen out of it, but I just realized that China is number one market for English language learners, and I really want to be there. 
and uh, every week I'm going to take this step to see to see how, how I'm progressing. So uh, when you say your content has been copied in China, you're referring to the English language learner content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, like, what what does you know entering a new market actually look like? Are are you gonna be you know learning how to speak Chinese or like no. having a translator or like no. have someone that does the same? Because you mentioned repurposing content. So, like, would your content from English channel be taken and then uh, you know produced by someone who can speak Chinese? Uh, no, I think what we're gonna do is just take my TikTok content and uh, replace English words with the Chinese words. So I'm still going to be speaking English, but the subtitles are going to be in Chinese. We'll see. It's you know it's all about experimenting. This is uh, what we're going to start with, and then we'll just see what's what's going on. Because with other countries, it, it has it has been a lot easier. For China, we would need to set up the whole company because you can't take payments with with an American uh, payment system. We need to set up a, an LLC in China and set up the whole payment uh, payment process. But with other countries, it's been so easy. You just yeah. set up operations in the US and you start speaking English and people we have over 90 over 85 countries buying from LinguaTrip mm -hmm. but with China it's a completely different story so how about um, India do you think India is a big market or is it not as big for English learners India is a big market and we have a lot of audience in India it's just uh, they don't buy that much the conversion rates are lower mm -hmm. so in order to generate a specific amount of money you need to have 10x people from India compared to the amount of people you need from Brazil for example I see and uh, in terms of content repurposement uh, so one of the questions that I had is like how to stay on top of social media networks you know there is new ones popping up all the time TikTok's really big right now I noticed that on TikTok you're repurposing your content from YouTube why did you decide to go down that route versus uh, being like creating native videos for TikTok because I don't have time. <laughs> that's that's way too much. Um, I just saw a couple of YouTubers who did that. Mm -hmm. And I saw their TikToks take off. And I was like, okay, why why should I wait? Why should I wait when I have this moment when I want to create content for a TikTok? We just decided that we're going to take my videos. I hired a couple editors. Uh, and uh, they're just doing this without me even knowing what's going on there. And that's I have awesome. like over 700,000, I think, on TikTok. And what, what would you say is the formula for TikTok so far in terms of how to be successful on, on TikTok? Like there, there are several things. Yeah, there are several things that are completely different from YouTube. So, for example, on TikTok, you really need to start a video introducing your topic because mm -hmm. on on YouTube you can just start uh, because people have seen your thumbnail, they've seen your um, your title. On TikTok, they're just scrolling, so they haven't seen anything and they didn't really pay attention to the title of your video. So you really need to start your video explaining what you're going to talk about, like, hey, we're going to talk about top 20 words you're mispronouncing in English. So mm -hmm. that's a very important thing. Then it needs to be dynamic, of course. Then you need to have those. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, videos that are edited inside TikTok perform a lot better than videos that are edited outside TikTok because you can cut videos mm -hmm. anywhere. But it's better to cut them in TikTok and uh, make those layovers in TikTok using their native um, stickers or whatever yeah. they have their text because people are used to this format and it tends to perform better. Same for um, Instagram stories. People tend yeah. to like stories that are edited in Instagram more than stories that are edited somewhere else. So there are those smaller things. And uh, TikTok really likes when you start your channel. So once you start, you need to start posting right away. Because if you wait for three months and decide to start posting, then there is no magic algorithm that's going to help you out. Um, mm -hmm. We tested that with, because uh, I started a second TikTok last week and we started posting business content. It didn't take off because I used my old TikTok account. So I'm going to try and start another one next week and we're going to start posting business oh, content, hoping it's going to take off. But there are two hypotheses. First, maybe it hasn't taken off because it's an old account. Second, maybe it's the end of organic growth on TikTok. Maybe there's already too much people, you know, too, too many YouTubers. Coronavirus made like... Yeah, because everyone, everyone is producing content. Yes, everyone is trying to do something. So maybe it's the end of... Uh, taking off on TikTok in a matter of, of, of two or three days, maybe that's it. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I missed the window. I, need to, I don't know. I need to think we'll about see it. Next week. <laughs> so what is the next social media platform? Like, let's, let's say, let's say it's true that TikTok organic growth is over. Like, what's next? Have you heard about this uh, so voice social media that raised 100 million? Oh, well, they raised like $20 million, I think, last week from Andreessen Horowitz. 
and their valuation was a hundred million. Is it Clubhouse? They... No, it's no. voice. It's from a guy who was at Google before, and then he did a lot of different apps, social media apps that failed, and this is like his next social media Interesting. app. Interesting. What is it? Uh, it's basically social media for voice. And you have these chats that you can join and just listen to people talking or join them talking. They had something similar uh, yeah, that, that, that Discord. Club, that Clubhouse. Club. Oh, Clubhouse. Did you yeah, say yeah. Clubhouse? Oh, yeah, okay. Clubhouse. Yeah. It's Clubhouse. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that they raised so much money. Yeah, there was this huge buzz on Twitter, especially in VC community. Like everyone was talking about, oh, like I just got an exclusive invite to Clubhouse. Clubhouse is so cool. And I was like, what? Like interesting. What, what is this Clubhouse yeah. thing? And then it turned out that it's just, yeah, voice uh, rooms. And apparently yeah. something like this was done before, but it wasn't very successful. But this time around, Clubhouse like made it super, super exclusive. And everyone has FOMO to be able to actually join it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really curious what's going to what's going to happen to it. I'm going to look more into it now that they've raised so much money, which I'm not very surprised with considering how much buzz specifically in VC yeah. circles it created. That's curious. Yeah, and they are yeah, I think the use case is interesting because they're saying like VCs are saying they're that are testing it out. They're saying that uh, they use Clubhouse when they're cooking because when you're cooking, you don't really want to focus on a podcast and you don't really want to watch a video. You're just kind of in this meditation state. You just want to listen to random. I don't know. Uh, so we'll see. They say you, you like listening to random people when you're doing something. Uh, we'll see because I catch myself when I'm you know, cleaning my room or doing something. I don't want to listen to something that's too smart. I want to listen to something relaxing and maybe just listening to people talk. I don't know. That's mm. that's exciting. And another social media, I've seen it, um, you know, Nico Bonazas and Alexia Bonazas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Alexia just invested, what is it called? Live. So it's a shopping app with live streams. So you basically go oh, live. Pop, pop shop, right? Pop shop. Pop, pop, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, green, yeah. green mm -hmm. kind of also closed, closed beta. Um, and you, you go can show products that you're selling. And they already had this, I think, on WeChat. By the way, they had Clubhouse on WeChat as well. Like WeChat has mm -hmm. everything in China. And we're kind of just following wow. with different features. So yeah, and then Facebook shops, I think that's a big thing. Have you heard of it? Um, so no, I haven't heard of Facebook shops. Facebook shops, though, so they're introducing a feature where you can sell everything on Facebook and sell everything on Instagram, and uh -huh. they, they're going to uh, be introducing AI. So, for example, I'm live right now, and uh -huh. instead of asking me, like, Marina, what are you wearing? Uh, Facebook is going to show you this is a shirt from this shop, and you can just uh, uh, click on it and buy it. So this is wow. what I think they're going to enroll it. So they, they're rolling this out, the shops feature, they're rolling this out. The, this time i think this week or next week and then they're just gonna evolve and evolve so yeah i was actually just talking to a friend about uh about these trends in china the other day because in china as you said live stream shopping it's like through the roof there is so many live streamers that earn their coast in this these six hour long live streams just to upsell you on a specific product and what oh, he yeah. was saying that i thought was very curious is that in china because historically uh there was like poverty in china was pretty big just about like 50 60 years ago and then very recently china started booming and now it's obviously a superpower in the world and that people in china have um this desire to consume because they weren't able to consume before and so mm. it was like from poor to you know having money and being able to uh, buy stuff and there is this uh, like immense desire to just be to buy like as much stuff as possible because you can and so um, and so consumer behavior in China is like very special because of this historical context that is like harder to replicate let's say in India because India did not have like such a such an economic boom for once mm -hmm. or like America is like over saturated with like we're kind of already over our consumer um, yeah saturation so um yeah i'm really curious to see how these shopping live streaming apps do in other parts of the world but china but i think it's very it's a super interesting trend yeah yeah i really want to go to shanghai and just spend a month there yeah i think that would be super cool it seems like a different planet like they're just so fast and exactly and, exactly yeah, yeah and I they're agree. so different the culture is so different 
Yeah, I agree. Marina, uh, one of my last questions uh, is with respect to a personal brand. Do you think everyone should be building a personal brand right now? Do you think everyone should be on social media? I think so, yeah. Because <laughs> especially now when we can't see people in, in our real physical life, uh, like if you're not in your digital space you don't exist for other people unfortunately this is what's happening like because before we could go to a party and see someone and talk to them now we can't well we'll hopefully be able to go to parties in a couple of weeks because mm -hmm. i think napa is reopening restaurants oh, <laughs> nice. really? yeah starting oh, june 1st you can sit uh, in a restaurant in napa um so but because we can't see people in real life, we, we're only able to see each other on social media and online. And if you're not present online, then that means you don't really kind exist for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, so it's the matter of picking the right social media because for some people it's just LinkedIn. Even my aunt, uh, Leola, I asked her to start social media three years ago because people love her and I was like come on let's let's make videos together let's do this this and that and she's like yeah no I don't like it I want to be you know I want to focus on my work and even she has started posting content on LinkedIn because she realized she doesn't want to do Instagram she doesn't want to she doesn't want to do YouTube she wants to do something that is more work related and LinkedIn has been a perfect social network for her yeah. so I think it's it's the matter of figuring out where you want to be and uh, which format is the best for you. Maybe it's a clubhouse. Maybe you want to be a voice superstar. Um, so finding out the right type of social media and just starting it, I think it's really important these days. Yeah, totally. So do you schedule yourself time? Like, would you recommend people to schedule like an hour a day to figure out which network they should be in and actually be active on it? Uh, I would say it, it really has to come naturally. So just forcing yourself to create mm -hmm. content every day, that wouldn't work. I would say just, you know, maybe forcing yourself to try. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but then uh, you need to find out where you feel uh, the most, ex which social media you feel the most excited about, and then just doubling down on, on that social media. That makes sense. Marina, thank you so much for your time. And thank you yeah, for all the insights. You. I've learned a lot. I'm sure my audience has learned a lot as well. Um, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Happy Friday. Um, I hope we'll see each other soon. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have a great rest of the day. See ya. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. After our conversation with Marina, I have already started writing out detailed instruction lists for my personal assistant. I have started reading the biography of Alek Tinkov, the serial entrepreneur that Marina mentions in our conversation. I hope you learned as much and are feeling inspired and motivated. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing. I'm very excited to be hosting this series. Please share it with your family and friends if you've enjoyed it. If you learned something new, I'm going to continue making the episodes and they will be posted on Tuesday at 8.30 a.m. California time. I also want to give a shout out to Studio Pod, a podcasting studio here in Silicon Valley, here in San Francisco. Thank you so much for distributing this podcast. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bye for now.